Coming up right now, the newest episode from Carr, Gwyn, and Ode on Three Pagans and a Cat. Hey folks, CJ Grimm here from Poking Dead Things. It's a hard job doing what we do, and it can get kind of gross. We know that you work hard too, so I'm here to tell you that at the end of a hard day, nothing beats a hot bath and a cold beer. So treat yourself right, head to Twisted Willow Soap Company, and indulge in a bath bomb with your favorite six-pack. Remember, the only girly thing about a bath bomb are the sounds you're going to make in excitement. Twisted Willow Soap Company. Body. Mind. Soul. Remember, we celebrate life with food and ritual because we're not dead. Welcome to our community, Gwee and Raven, the 89th episode of Three Pagans and a Cat. Our opening today is courtesy of our guest, witch and author, Gwee and Raven. You may call me Ode. You can call me Carr. I'm Ode's father. Mary Meat, my name is Gwyn, Ode's mother. And were you forgetting? You've only had one sip of that. Are <laughs> <laughs> you already forgetting who you are? <laughs> I remember my name. So my, my father or mother, mother, I don't what's know. What's the relationship between <laughs> the yeah. my child, so I'm there. Of course, mm. now let's be fair. He was missing last week. True. We so did not have car last week, so now he's all confuddled. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. All, right. All right, let's let's start with our housekeeping. Housekeeping. So we have one new kitten. Greetings to our new kitten. We have one new cat, Emily Kruger. Hello, Emily. We have one new hunter, Katie Mongoose. Hello, Katie. Katie Mongoose. That's a yeah. great name. That's great. And we have one new leopard, Ellen Veals. Hello, Ellen. Welcome to all of our new patrons. Yep. Yes. We love you. We love all our patrons. So, and we hope you're all Everyone being safe and taking care of yourselves. Yes. And all of our listeners, make sure you're taking care of yourself and being safe. Yep. So I do have a little bit of housekeeping other than that. And pride, hopefully you all will enjoy this because doggone it, it took me, I don't know, a year to get this set up. <laughs> next Sunday night. So not this Sunday night, but the next one. So that's the 26th of April, April. from seven to 9 p.m. We will be watching on Sia, that's C-Y-A dot live, L-I-V-E. We will be watching together Night of the Living Dead. You'll actually be able to hear Ode, Gwen, and I talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're just interested in the movie, you can turn us down. Uh-huh. And if you're not it. interested in the movie at all, you can turn us up and turn the movie <laughs> down. Um, and I think there's like a space for questions. There is. There's a chat yeah, feature built chat in, features. all that kind of stuff. It's like interactive MST3K. Right. So yep. It's MST3K, but with three with packs. With us. With three packs. <laughs> so it's so, MST3 pack. MST3 pack. <laughs> and it's open to everyone. It's open to everybody. Yep. Uh, it certainly is. Uh, it'll be free this time. This, this time, time. Yep. Because this movie is out of open copyright. Source. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So. We can do that. We will not be able to do that every time. Nope. We want to watch stuff that's still in copyright. Uh, yep. There will be, like, a fee, unfortunately. But mm-hmm. this one is not in copyright, and it's fucking hilarious. That's so right. <laughs> what, what do you actually call it? I, in my heart space, call this movie Broad Daylight of the Living Dead. <laughs> <laughs> and has done so since we watched it on a television in a hotel, I think, when you were eight. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So you'll get to hear all my opinions about the Light of the Living Dead. That's right. Crystallized when I was a preteen. So that link will go up Monday on the Facebook pages um, and the Discord. Yep. 
Okay. So we got that out of the way. Other than that, we're not traveling. We're not doing anything. No, we're doing this things. Point. Well, I mean, they're, we're they're do- doing online things. Yes, we're so doing online things. Gwen, Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. is doing a meditation daily. Mm-hmm. Monday, Monday through Friday. Monday through Friday. Work week. Yes, the work week. Yep. Um, and then every Sunday at 2 until this madness is over, mm-hmm. or maybe longer, depending on mm-hmm. <laughs> how I feel about it after it's all over, uh, we're live on Zoom. And so that Zoom link is on both of the Facebook pages at the top, or I usually post it day of uh, on the Discord, too, mm-hmm. because apparently people can't find it on the Facebook pages. Yeah. And Velocity reminds yes. music competition music right. is closing soon. The music competition, submit as many songs as you want to the music that, competition. That you created. That you've that you created, created, yes. And to which you have full license rights. It has <laughs> to be a creative work that you have created. Right. And have license yeah. for. <laughs> a, a song you have the full rights to, That's not right. something you got off of SoundCloud or whatever. And it's... <laughs> The song that you're creating for this competition <laughs> is our new intro song. Yeah, that's right. So, which means luckily you all won't have to hear my voice at the beginning anymore if it's done well enough. <laughs> so, yeah, there you go. That's yep. that's the deal on and that. That ends at it? the end of the month. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. last day of April is the last day for submissions. Correct. Right. Yep. So before we wrap up housekeeping, one more thing I want to mention to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, some places are starting to close down their shelter-in-place orders and their stay-at-home orders. Yep, but that doesn't mean you can stop practicing that's, social that's distancing. Right. Yeah, that's the important part. So I know everyone wants to get back to normal, and we're hopefully going to start slowly opening things up and being able to go to work again and meet some people sometimes mm-hmm. uh, and go to the grocery store and things like that. But the pace at which we are working on the coronavirus situation is not such that we will be able to go back to normal at the end of the month, mm-hmm. right? right. Yep. We're going to be loosening restrictions, not returning to the norm. And one of our listeners, Auntie M, who has experienced coronavirus, mm-hmm. says, wear masks and wash your hands. You do not want this shit. Yeah. So... Be wise. Yeah. Yep. So Listen everyone to the experts, just, yeah, exactly. Lady catastrophe says. And the actual experts. The actual experts, not the politicians. Do- and Dr. Phil doesn't count as an actual oh expert my because God, it says doctor no. at the beginning. Or Dr. Right, yeah. Oz. Or Dr. Oz. <laughs> or the guy who's the pet doctor. Right. <laughs> we, we need real people. Yes. Epidemiologists. Yes. yes. Epidemiologists. Yes. Okay. So. All right. So we have a guest tonight. We have yes. a wonderful guest who I had the opportunity to meet. In February, a Pantheacon. Yes. I'm very, very excited. So, without further ado, I would like to invite Guion Raven. First of all, thank you for joining us tonight. And Guion, please say hello and tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, my gosh. Well, hello. It's wonderful to be here. I'm very excited. I've been looking forward to this for a good long time. What does one say about oneself? Well, uh, I cook a lot. I witch a lot. And then I... Kitchen witch a lot. I'd combine the two of them. So it seemed like a good combination, really, is it's all I'm really particularly good at is, you know, cooking and witching. Well, where are you from originally? Because your accent sort of gives you a Oh, uh, uh, Northern California. Yeah, yeah, Detroit. Yeah. Detroit, yeah. I'm originally from the south of England. Uh, I grew up in and around London. So I was born in London, raised in London. Uh, but a lot of my family lived in Kent. And Kent is the um, sort of the agricultural breadbasket, if you will. When the Romans decided to stop by a couple of thousand years ago, they stopped by for a quick visit, just about 400 years or so. <laughs> they they said, oh, this Kent bit, 
is really good because we can grow things and feed our ever expanding armies. And so they, they had a lot of um, encampments in around Kent. So that's where I grew up, which was lovely because it was orchards and uh, hop yards. That's not the right word for it. Yeah, it was fabulous growing up there. It sounds wonderful. Yeah. Car and I had the opportunity to go to England in 2016, and we were able to be in London, and we got to go to Manchester. Beautiful country. How was your introduction to witchcraft? Yeah, what was your what was your path? On what path? was your path? How did you get to where you are today as a witch and as a cook? Yeah, so the witchcraft bit is pretty easy. So growing up in uh, in, in England, as I did, there's this really odd blending of history and myth and magic, or at least certainly when I grew up, there was. So as an example, as a kid, there was a place not too far away from where my mum worked called uh, Abbey Woods. And there was an old ruined abbey there. That's why it was called Abbey Woods. And the abbey dated back to about the 11th or 12th centuries when it was originally built. And then it was sacked in the in the 1500s like all the abbeys were. But as a kid, I would go to work with my mum sometimes on a Saturday. And as you could do back then, I went wandering around in the woods. And so I was having an imaginary, you know, battle with wizards or with knights or with, uh, you know, whoever it was that might be in the abbey, you know, 500 years ago. And so there were big trees that you could hide in. There were always, you know, you always heard stories of uh, there are places in all over England that are called like Caesar's camp because it's where the Romans camped for a particular while. And then, you know, when you mix in things like Stonehenge and Robin Hood and Green Men, and it's not that difficult to be pagan. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then for a very short period of time, I went to a church, Church of England. The school that my mom sent me to was the Church of England school. And there was a church around the corner. But it was very odd because although it was a Church of England church it had been there it was built uh i think in about 1190 at the original church so it's been around for a while but my earliest memories of it were things like dancing the maypole on may day on the church grounds (laughs) and then you know as a seven-year-old you don't really understand what's going on but then noticing sort of couples disappearing off into the bushes or off A very Christian, you know. A very traditional uh, celebration. Very there. traditional, yeah. Mm. And then uh, the same thing in in August, uh, we would do a harvest festival, and the church was bedecked with you know wheat sheaves, and there was a food drive, and of course it was llamas, right? Mm. They were just continuing the llama celebrations. So yeah, it wasn't that difficult to to become a pagan. However. When I first moved to the U.S., I did a little bit of soul searching and moving around. I didn't really have a particular path that I was following. And then through a series of events, I simultaneously found the work of Joseph Campbell, the philosopher and mythologist, Mm -hmm. and I began studying Buddhism. I, I worked very closely. I studied with a Tibetan Rinpoche for several years and quite literally several times a week would go and sit at his feet and he would teach. And it was amazing. And I got to a point in my studies where things didn't, uh, I, I was quite satisfied, but it felt like there was something missing, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was very fortunate that my Rinpoche was invited to a large gathering, very large gathering with his holiness Dalai Lama. And during this teaching and I got to go, which was amazing. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. Uh, but during this talk, the Dalai Lama said, 
something, and he's, he's written this in books. So he wasn't, it's not like he said this directly to me, but he's said something along the lines of, you know, we're not really recruiting in Buddhism. Like we think it's the right way. And if you find it to be the right way, excellent. But really, if you're a Catholic, go and be the best Catholic. Go and dive into the mysteries of being a Catholic. Or if you're a, if you're someone that practices Hinduism, go and study everything you can about Hinduism. And he said, if there is a native culture that you belong to, if there is a, a place that resonates with you, go there. And that really struck me. And two weeks later, I was in England with uh, then my girlfriend, now my wife, Phoenix LaFay, and we went on an amazing excursion. She'd always wanted to go to Glastonbury and Glastonbury tour, and I wanted to go back to Bath and Kent and London. We just had this real magical two weeks uh, rediscovering paganism. But Phoenix had been a witch for years before that, but it just, everything sort of crystallized for me. Uh, so coming back out of that, I became a druid for several years, loved that path. It was a great first exploration for me or re-exploration for me. And then moved into witchcraft because uh, I just adore the practice of it. You know, that's the thing that gets me is the practice of it. And then being a kitchen witch, I mean, I've cooked most of my life one way or another, whether that was in a formal kitchen or in my kitchen, you know, as a, as a single parent at some point, I just, I love food. I, I mean, I really love food. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, so it just, it became such an easy blend of the two. It, it took me years to actually realize that what I was doing was kitchen witchery. You know, it was like, oh, I'm a witch and I do witchcraft stuff and I'm a cook. And then one day I went, oh, wait, these are actually the same thing. <laughs> these combine very easily. Yeah, yeah. really yeah. do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to go to your class um, when I was at Pantheacon. And one of the things that you talked about was your book, obviously, because it was, it was the class was about your book. And the name of your book is The Magic of Food. You talked about that, you know, that food is an important part of our lives, obviously, but that it brings magic into our lives. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? And why did you decide to write this book? Yeah. What was the light bulb yeah. moment for you? Yeah. When did, when did that dawn on you? Because it's a great book, Thank by you. the way. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, you know what? It, so uh, like a lot of folks, I imagine we study law or old pagan stuff. You know, it could be Romans or Greeks or Sumerians or, or folks from the Icelandic folks, right? There's, there's all kinds of amazing myths and stories and law that's out there that's still available to us. And unfortunately, you know, a lot has been lost. But in virtually every tale you read, any mythology, any native stories, there's always some story of food, whether it's don't eat food if you're in the land of the Fae or whether it's a cauldron that is brewed that's got a magic elixir in it or a, um, a cauldron where a, a goat keeps coming out. And no matter how much you eat it, it you know constantly uh, regenerates. It, it, pick a myth, pick a, um, a deity that you know of, and I'll bet you there's a food myth somewhere connected. So I was just fascinated by history and by the history of food as a cook and and also as a witch. So again, it just sort of really, the two of them coming together, I just kept asking questions and I loved the answers I was getting and I thought I'd share it. Just like, you know, if you get a bunch of cooks together and they sit down 
and somebody will say, oh, man, I just tried this the other day for the first time. And before you know it, everybody's doing a recipe share. Everyone's talking about how they would do that thing, you know, what they would do with that particular ingredient. And it's kind of that's what got me excited about this book is that I wanted to share like I would share recipes. I got to share all these curious and wondrous things that I found out about about these various cultures and the way they treated food and magic and the gods all in one. So that's that's why I decided to write the book. But why I think it's important, why I think magic and food are important and why I think they go together so well. A lot of magic that we practice, that many people practice, is imaginal magic, right? We craft words, we craft an intention. We might say those over and over again or write them down so we get incantations or spells or enchantments. And we might even do a thing like uh, light a candle, for instance. But what we're doing often is we're projecting our thoughts into that candle, into that poppet, into that idea that we're creating. And it's all, it's all up here, right? And then we project it into the candle. And when the candle lights, it transmutes the magic. Food magic is different. You might have to imagine a recipe, but everything about that magic is tangible. You have to pick up a knife. You have to put something in the oven or in a pot. You have to chop things, dice things, taste things. You have to be aware of time uh, because whatever it is that you're making has to cook for a particular amount of time. Or even before that, it has to grow for a particular amount of time so it gets the right sweetness or bitterness or whatever flavor you're looking for. So food magic is really, really, really tangible. And then you do something with it. You drink it. You eat it. If you're mixing ingredients to put uh, not necessarily in food, but uh, as um, as protective magic, you know, something outside of the house, you're going to grind it in a, a mortar and pestle. You're going to make a salt bowl. You're going to sprinkle it around. And so for me, food magic is really visceral. You have to use your brain. You have to imagine what it is that you're cooking, what it might look like. You have to put your intention in it. Then you actually have to make it. So you've got to use your hands and, and all of your senses to make it. And then if you're the one eating it, you get to eat the magic as well, which is brilliant. And then the magic moves through you quite literally, right? <laughs> and if you're doing, you know, some shady magic, it will really move through somebody. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but the idea being is it's you can, you can, you can start with a raw ingredient. That's like alchemy to me, right? You start with a raw ingredient, you transmute it somehow by adding heat or water or other ingredients to it, and then you ingest it, and then you absorb that magic. You become that magic. It's in your DNA. It's in your cells. It's moving about your body. And, you know, if you're sharing it with somebody else, then the same thing is true there. Then, then they're getting the benefit of the magic as well in a real tangible form. So that was something I hope to communicate in the book. I don't cook very often, but I love to cook. Yeah. He just makes it an ordeal. <laughs> Every, everything I cook takes a yeah. day. Like, there's no like throw it together. Well, there used to be a throw it together process when Gwen and I first got married. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But my grandfather was a chef. And so I learned from him very early on how to make elaborate meals and usually because he was a chef 
Originally, he was a cook in the army. Oh, wow. And then became a chef afterwards. Most of the stuff I make is more than enough for our family of four. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One of the things I do on the podcast is once a month, mm-hmm. I do a thing called Car's Feast Table. Mm-hmm. And I just talk about a different recipe each time. Oh. Through that process, I, I've probably gotten 10 emails over the last year that I've been doing that. Of people going, hey, try this recipe. Mm-hmm. Hey, try this recipe. Yeah. Yeah. So it really is that whole sharing people process. People like sharing food. Right, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I did here on the show was I made, or did not make, but I gave the recipe to make butter candles. Which I still have to do. Right, which so, I thought was such a cool idea. So yeah. you, you make brown butter and you pour it into a votive. And then you can buy a candle wick that's actually done with ghee. Yeah. And so you put that in there. And then you blend in the spices for the particular spell that you're making that hopefully goes along with the food. (laughs) Um, And you light the candle as you're serving it. And then you have, as you serve the main course, you have them pour that candle over top of their meal. So then they're eating the intention you put into the candle. See, that's brilliant. I mean, really, I mean, you had me a brown bar. I was all in. (laughs) (laughs) That's brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. I mean, it makes, I mean, think about it. It's light, it's warmth, it's comfort. It's fucking delicious because it's brown butter. Let's be clear. (laughs) And it's interactive. You get to use the magic right in the meal. Yep. Exactly. Ben is saying, you know, this is why I love food magic, the involvement from start to finish, from growing it to the end. There's nothing like that experience. And then Lady Catastrophe said, there is magic in growing, harvesting, preparing, and eating. It's the oldest magic I know. It really is. Chris makes a good point, too, that food magic connects with ancestors. Yes, very much. I talk a fair bit about that in the book, actually. So uh, I often get asked, you know, especially at Samhain time, people, you know, there are various feasts that people often do for the dead, right? Right. It's a pretty common thing in paganism. And, and I've been asked a lot of times, well, how do I do a feast for the dead? It's really, I think there are so many different ways that you can do it. But if you are somebody that hasn't connected with ancestors, or maybe you can't because you don't know who your ancestors were. Maybe you don't know where you came from for you know, a variety of reasons. You don't know much about your family of origin. There are still ways that if you have an inkling of where those folk came from, you can cook the foods that they would remember in in the book there's a recipe for my grandmother's shepherd's pie well it's my my version of my grandmother's shepherd's pie i've been cooking it for years when i cook that meal i'm instantly transported back 30 years or more to my grandmother's kitchen in erith in kent i can smell the kitchen I can picture it. There was a little mug tree made out of balsa wood that I bought for a a pound, you know, a couple of dollars somewhere. And she would hang our favorite mugs on it. I would watch her making the shepherd's pie and peeling the potatoes and we would chat. And after we had, after she'd made the shepherd's pie and pulled it out from under the grill. So a lot of cookers, stoves in England don't have a broiler at the bottom. They have a grill at the top. So you would take the shepherd's pie, put it under the grill, and that's what gets it all bubbly and brown and a little bit charred on top. It's brilliant. And then she would take the shepherd's pie and put it in these plates, uh, and then we would sit with table trays, and we would watch this show. It's this terrible sort of 
quasi game show variety show called three, two, one contact. No, three, two, one. Anyway, by the magic of YouTube, I found like the introduction, the, the credits to that show. So now I can cook my grandmother's shepherd's pie, remembering everything about it. And I can have the soundtrack to this terrible comedy show, right? So it literally (laughs) transports me through time. And then of course I get to eat the food and I get to think about, can't imagine how many times she made shepherd's pie on a, on a rainy Friday night in England because it was warm and it was comforting and it was filling. And, you know, we would just sit there and, and, Shortly thereafter, we'd, we'd watch whatever else was on television that night and then have a cup of hot chocolate and, you know, I'd go off the bed. It was brilliant. And so she's, she's gone now, obviously. She's been dead for many years. And, but every time I cook that meal and others that make me think of her, then I'm instantly back there. And you can do the same thing. If you don't have a person that you remember specifically, it might be a place uh, or a, a culture that you have some, affinity too. And if you don't have any of that, you can still do it. If your pantheon of gods that you work with, if you work with gods, if you have a, maybe you love Inanna, maybe that's the goddess that speaks to you the most. There are recipes that we have access to that are 7,000 years old. The priests and priestesses of Inanna would cook in her honor and we can use those same spices. We can make those same meals. Imagine if you were doing a ritual and you wanted to invite Inanna. You could cook a meal using the spices and the scents and the ingredients that she would recognize. She's much more likely to show up at your kitchen table or your ritual space. And again, same thing with, with Hecate or Persephone or Dionysus or, you know, pick, pick your god or goddess that you just absolutely love and cook the food that they would want. So if you don't have a personal ancestor you want to cook for or with um, or connect to, you can connect to the gods or the, the places that you're from. Yeah, I love that. I think that's beautiful. And I know you include some of that information yeah. in your book. Mm-hmm. Right, right. It's time for reviews. <laughs> very nice. Thanks. Thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, All right. For a real quick review, The Magic of Food, Rituals, Offerings, and Why We Eat Together by Gwen Raven. That's there right. we go. That's right. All right. So I love this book. It's a good book. It's a very good book. It it's is, like one part history text, one part recipe book. Yes. Although I do want to stress, it's not a cookbook. So no. I mean, there are recipes in it. If you're you're picking it up expecting like your traditional cookbook. With just a list of recipes. With a list yeah, of recipes and a little that. introduction. That is not what you're getting. What you're getting is some really fascinating information about, like there's information about the cooking, the cooking in Greece and in mm-hmm. Rome and in various eras and, and there's historical information. Yeah, there's historical information. Mythology. There's, there's mythology, there's yes. magical information. And there are recipes included to kind of I felt like augment those ideas. It was interesting because there were there were recipes for make food. Right. And then there were rituals for use food. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. Which I thought was very cool. And yeah. there's even there's potions in here. There's yeah. cocktails in here. <laughs> I mean <laughs> but there's also just as as uh Guion, has been talking to us, he gives the information about why people mm-hmm. eat together, why it is a, a historical thing that we've been doing since, you know, we started gathering berries, you know, killing animals, killing animals. <laughs> um, he um, just mentioned uh, the feast to Anana and there's a whole section before 
the actual food is talked about. That's about a story about Inanna getting the May mm-hmm. from uh, Enki. It's a great story. Mm-hmm. I, just, I just wanted to throw that out there. It's, <laughs> it's a good and story that I that I that I think I was first exposed to when I was like twelve or something. I was doing the <laughs> Epic of Gilgamesh. I was like, oh, I'm gonna look up all these. <laughs> there's also I, I think I was saying there's a, a ritual to Dionysus mm-hmm. with good instructions on you know how to create the temple space and what mm-hmm. kind of foods you might serve and how you might, um, it's you know, thorough. It's, it's very will, thorough, including the taking down of when you are done. Now, <laughs> I, I think this book is well put together. Yep. I do think if you don't go into it, if you're not paying attention, it could feel chaotic just because. Mm, yeah, I can see that. Right. So like it's, it's broken up into like sort of regions or zones. Right. Right. So you're not going to like, it's not like, history in the front of the book, and then a section on ritual, and right. then a section on recipes. It's all sort of together. It's very, like, organically presented, I'd yes, say. Yes, it is. And opening up the thing. Right, yeah. Right. It does have a, a yeah. good um, so table of contents. So you should be able to find what you're looking for, but, like, you're not going to find, like, a soups no. recipes section. But there is a how to use this book in the introduction. Yes. So definitely make sure you don't skip over the yeah, introduction. Read the introduction. Read the it. Read the how to use this book. There's a lot of really good topics covered. Yeah, it's very um, comprehensive. It is. It's very comprehensive. And I think what it really brings out is what the title itself says, the magic of food, this concept that our food, it nourishes us. It gives us strength. It also, it brings magic into our lives in a way that I think we just don't think about. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's it, not at the front of people's minds as no. much as it should be. And I really do think that more of us are kitchen witches than we realize. Yeah. So... <laughs> My only thing was that there weren't enough recipes for me right. as somebody who likes to cook very intricate things. Yeah. Right. So, Gwen, next book. <laughs> More recipes. More, yeah, just yeah. all recipes. Recipes. And then put a little snippets in it. And that's um, the reason why I wanted to yeah, right. reiterate, it's not, not a cookbook. Right. It is a book. I, I want a Gwen Raven cookbook. Yeah, that has recipes in it. Right. <laughs> what, what I will say is that this book has, that I really appreciated, Inline citations. Yes. Yep. <laughs> That's right. So we normally rate these out of five. Mm-hmm. So Gwen? 4.5. Give us four stars, yeah. Four stars, yeah. I'm at four stars too, so that puts us at 4.25. Yep, yeah. So... So that is a recommendation from yes, Free Pass. That's right. right. That's a get this book. And I have a recommendation from our son because mm-hmm. he was with me at Pantheon. He went way on Raven's class and he bought the book and he made the board oh, yeah. tacos. Yes, which reportedly turned out very well. He was and he shared them with friends <laughs> just as they were meant to be. As, as directed by Raven, not only in the class, but in the book. And he said they were sublime. So that's where the, the, 4.5 comes uh-huh. from that. 0.5 <laughs> is from Jackson on behalf of the Boar Tacos. <laughs> All right. So we're at 4.5 overall because of Jackson. Uh-huh, yeah. We'll include him. Because um, he is a part of the family, That's even right. though he's not normally a part of the podcast. <laughs> All right. So I would say that that means everybody should go buy the book. And well, right now, everyone should on Amazon order right, yes. the book. Or, or, I don't, Guion, can they buy it directly from you? Yeah. So you can go to my website, which is guionraven.com, you know, original title there. Uh, so you can go to my website, guionraven.com. Uh, you can go to Llewellyn and buy it there. You can order it from Amazon, although it'll take a little bit longer to ship that way these days. Mm-hmm. Um, Unless you do Kindle. Right. You can do the Kindle version. So yes, lots of places that you can, you can get it. Okay. If they buy it directly from you, would you be willing to autograph it for I them? I will autograph it. Tell me who you want it made out to. There you go. So if you want an autographed copy 
of the book, then you can just buy it from Guion on his website. Mm -hmm. He will send it to you autographed. But if you want a copy today, today, well, not today, sent to you free from Guion with a full-blown autograph and everything in it, you need to email car at threepagansandacat.com. Okay, you got that? Car at the number three, pagansandacat.com. Mm-hmm. And I will choose a winner from that based on a random, random number, number, dro- number number pattern. And you need to have that into us by this upcoming Friday, by the 24th. 24th. So you have until the 24th of April. So you have four days from the release of this podcast mm-hmm. to get me your thing. So car at the number three, pagansandacat.com. And say that you want Guion Ravens, the magic of food. And also include your mailing address. Yes, yeah. mailing address would be great. <laughs> and what good. you want the, you know, what the inside that you want it, you know, to whom. Right. To whom. Yeah. To whom. To whom. That's right. And then we'll get that information to Guion, and he will get that book to you. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's the way it works. That's it's the way aspects. it works. All right. All right. That's it for reviews. Lovely. Lovely. Thanks. Lovely. A little higher. Well, I always try to end on a high note. <laughs> right. That's true. That's it, boo. No. Get <laughs> quite go that high. Don't, don't go quite that high. I haven't had any healing. I am either. not Steve Perry. <laughs> Neither is Steve Perry at this That's point. Right. Finn asks. Finn. Thank you, Finn. Finn asks, are the energies different for those that are vegan versus omnivores? Can you actually talk about this? Yeah, great question, Finn. So I'm going to take a bit of a... A journey to get to the answer to this question. <laughs> That's fine. You're it's English. True. We expect it. It's true. I mean, if something's <laughs> worth saying journey. in 10 words, it's worth saying in 5,000 words. So. <laughs> <laughs> so on Facebook a few months ago, somebody asked the question. They, they said something about wanting to change the way they ate. And they said that what they wanted to eat healthy. So as you can imagine on Facebook, hundreds of responses. Here's what's healthy. And I responded at some point and I said, that's virtually an impossible question to answer because I'm not you. So, for instance, uh, eating whole grain bread, a lot of people generally think that's pretty healthy. Unless you're someone that's on a keto diet or someone that has a gluten intolerance or a gluten allergy, then eating whole grain bread is absolutely not healthy for you. I think it's kind of the same thing with your chosen diet. And I want to be really careful when I use that word. I think when most people hear the word diet, what they translate it to is restriction. If I'm on a diet, I can't eat sugar. I can't eat meat. I shouldn't drink alcohol unless it's for a medical reason, that which is perfectly legit. You shouldn't eat those things. But most of the time when we hear diet, we think about restriction. We think about what we shouldn't eat. And diet really just means the food that you do eat. So kind of coming full circle to Finn's question, if you eat meat, and I do, I'm an omnivore, if you eat meat, I think there are some responsibilities that you have. I think you need to know where that meat comes from. I think it's important that you, if you have the wherewithal, that you know the beast from which you are surviving, right? So if you are someone that hunts, you have a really intimate relationship with that animal before it is killed. If you're someone that hunts deer, for instance, or boar, turkey, whatever it is, if if you take the life of that animal, you have an intimate relationship with it. And I think if you're then going to ingest that meat 
that there is a sacred agreement between the two of you. You've given up your life, dear pig. I'm going to honor this food. I'm going to cook it the best way I know how. I'm going to share the gift of this food with my family or with my friends. I'm going to treat this lump of meat, which is what most of the time we think of it as. We're going to treat this meat as a sacred and holy gift. And also understanding without a shadow of a doubt that when we choose to eat meat, we are eating another being's life force. We're eating its muscle. We're eating its memories. We're eating its very existence. So if you have the wherewithal, if you're somebody that does hunt, I'm sure you practice really good uh, hunting ethics. If you're someone that can afford to buy a local meat that you know the farmer and you know where that, that animal has lived and the conditions that it's lived in, brilliant. Now, the reality of it is the vast majority of people buy a package of pink stuff in the grocery store and they take it home and they cook it. And that's brilliant. There's no judgment about where you get your food from, but take a moment to remember that that, you know, ground up pink stuff that comes in a styrofoam base with some cellophane over the top of it. That was once a living, breathing, existing being and take a moment to honor it, cook it the best way you know how. When we're talking about plants, while And this depends on your belief system, I suppose, to some degree. But plants don't have the same kind of sentience, let's say, as a a chicken or a pig might. You're still eating life. When you pull a radish out of your garden, right before you pulled it out of the garden, it was a lie. It was living. It was growing. It was in communication. And you might even say communion with the soil and the sun and the air and everything that its roots and leaves um, touched. Radishes, one of any vegetable you want to choose, but they, through their leaves, they take the energy of the sun and they convert it into food that sustains our life. That's amazing. We can't photosynthesize. A plant can. So it's really important that you recognize that when you eat um something that was living, whether it had, you know, two legs or four legs and was running around a field or whether it was plucked out of the ground, that particular food item has a relationship to the environment that it's growing. I think that's the bit about energy that maybe Finn's question was asking about. I think it's critical to acknowledge the the food. I think it's critical to, to honor the ingredient. And as far as your own personal energy, If you are someone that thrives off of a plant-based diet, brilliant. I mean, how wonderful for you. And keep doing that. And also recognize that a plant-based diet, while it might be, uh, I'll use a term that's commonly used, uh, cruelty-free in the sense that no animal is being killed, that isn't actually true because fields get rototilled. And human beings break their backs and cut their fingers and work grueling hours to pick those grapes that you love so much. Someone has to touch that food. Someone is in a factory or in a field right now making that food, putting it into a package and shipping it to a grocery store. And more than ever these days, we know that there's a lot of people that are now in grocery stores as essential workers up until what six weeks ago how many people ever thought about the clock in the grocery store right Mm -hmm. now 
they're as important as as doctors and nurses and firefighters, right? Sustain and exactly, life. exactly. You know, without that teenager or young person, my, my I have a twenty two year old daughter. She works in a grocery store right now. She's just finishing up her teaching degree, but she's in a, works in a grocery store right now. She puts herself in harm's way every single day in the produce department, um, making sure that people have got food that they can take home and eat. So I think, again, coming back to Finn's question about the energy, when we eat food, we take on the characteristics, we take on the energy of where that food came from, regardless of what the food is. And I think it's important that we recognize that. And I'll tell you why, because that's how we transform it. I'll give you an example. If you are in the drive-thru at your favorite fast food restaurant, you might think to yourself, well, this food is not sacred. This food is not holy. This is a cheeseburger, <laughs> right? <laughs> this is nuggets that I'm going to slather in ranch dressing. You know, that's all great. The fact of the matter is, again, even if that food comes from a chaotic place, uh, a kitchen that, you know, works really quickly to put out food that's basically mass produced, you're taking that energy. in. So you're taking in mass produced, hurried energy. So think about that. That's not to say you shouldn't eat that food. It's not to say it won't sustain you if you're on a six-hour drive and you pull into McDonald's and grab that cheeseburger because that's what's going to keep you awake and alive till you get to the next stop. Eat it, but realize that you are taking in some chaotic energy. So all you have to do is transform it. So right before you pull out the drive-thru and you know you start shoving cheeseburgers down your throat, just take a moment and say, this food will sustain me. This food will nourish me. This food will allow me to drive the next 800 miles and be okay. Then you're transforming that chaotic energy into something that works for you. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. That's beautiful. Uh, Chris says, I know with every meal I have, I try to thank four aspects. The living thing that gave up its life or energy for that food. The people whose labor went into making slash bringing the meal to me. The earth herself and the gods specifically of fertility. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. I will never think of making boxed mac and cheese the same ever again. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, it's just uh, crazy. Join our tiger, Amanda. Not this week, but next week, because Hopefully. Wonderful Body Co. is currently closed down because of the coronavirus. But once she's back, you'll be able to relax with the salts of Wonderful Body Co., These soaks and scrubs inspired by popular books and characters are designed to delight multiple senses with fragrant scents and sparkling mica. You can also find a small selection of rollerball fragrances with a couple of dozen options available. You're sure to find something you'll like at Wonderful Body Co.'s collection. This week, Ode is recommending Back Porch Lemonade with notes of lemon, rosemary, and tea tree. Find Wonderful Body Co. online at wonderfulbodyco.com or go directly to the shop at etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash Wonderful Body Co. That's um, Auntie M. It will be open Monday, she said. Oh, oh, there we go. There you go. Excellent, Auntie. We're glad you're feeling better. Yay, so there you go. So by there the time you, you hear this, it'll be, it'll open. be open. It'll be open. And, you know, we recommend Wonderful Body Co. highly because we have used those wonderful products and multiple times. Yes. (laughs) And so if you need some chillaxing, which we all could use use some chill, then make sure that you order something from Amanda. And that's one thing that we're also encouraging people is, Mm -hmm. you know, help each other out. If you know a 
a pagan or someone who has a, a creator. shop, a creator of some kind that you can support them by buying something, one of their products or if something. If you can afford it. If you can afford it and you can, and you need something and you can go to one of these shops online and order something, go ahead and do that just so we can support one another. And if you're interested in potential places to buy stuff, and you're on our Discord channel, you can mm-hmm. go to Diagon Alley. Mm-hmm. Yes, which, new channel. New channel, which has a bunch of people who are selling their wares. Yep. Mm-hmm. So a good place for you yep. to check out and find out what's available. Products mm-hmm. and services. Also, uh, Auntie M says there will be new scents in the store this Friday. Ooh, very cool. Oh, I did want to, going back to um, what Guion said about energy and all the, in just that amazing perspective, the which I think food. the ethics of food and that perspective Cinnamon says, there are few things I hate more than cooking, but that was lovely. I'll be more appreciative of the ingredients next time I have to cook. And I think that's really the point, isn't it, Guion? Is to have that appreciation for where our food has come from. It really is. Yeah. And, you know, just to, to Cinnamon's point, uh, there were years when I did not like cooking because I had to cook. You know what I mean? Like, uh, like there wasn't a choice. If I didn't cook, there wasn't enough money for me to go buy food, right? So like to, to buy, go out to food. So I, I learned to cook because if I didn't, I couldn't eat. And not everybody likes to cook. Uh, most people do like to not die. So most of us do like to eat. <laughs> so, you know, one of the things, one of the things that really frustrates me is uh, a lot of times food people will talk about eating clean food or organic food and and buying from farmers markets. I think those things are all great. And if you can do those things, by all means, do those things. But all food is sacred. It really is. So cinnamon, if you don't like cooking, that's fine. But if there's somebody that does cook for you uh, or if you buy your food out and it's prepared food, it doesn't make the food any less sacred because you defrosted it in the microwave or because you got it in a bag delivered to the door. It doesn't make any difference. The food itself is sacred because if you didn't eat food, you would die. Mm -hmm. End of story, period. Somebody earlier on commented that making and sharing food is one of the oldest magics. Mm -hmm. I agree. I'll tell you why. Because if we don't cook or eat, we die. That's it. So every time we cook for someone or every time we enjoy a meal, we are promoting life. And I don't know of any more powerful magic in the universe than promoting life. So, yeah, Cinnamon, if you don't like to cook, that's fine. If we ever meet, I'll cook for you one of those days. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, just enjoy the food. Make every meal sacred. Melkor in the Void said craft, C-R-A-F-T, rather than craft, (laughs) K-R-A-F-T. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. like I said earlier, I think we are all kitchen, which is just, you know, we just have not recognized that food is sacred. And that was one of the things that really stood out to me from your presentation in February was was that food is sacred. And I had never really thought of it like that. And which I think that's an though, important because, perspective. Because you have done intentional, like, I'm going to put... Oh, yeah peace and harmony in this food before I, I serve it to my family. Cause it's otherwise it's going to be a bad night. <laughs> That's right. I have, I absolutely have. It's like, I'll be cooking a meal. This has happened on holidays. Uh-huh. Mostly holidays. Uh, yeah. I, I'll be cooking and the gathering hasn't even started, but I already, I'm, I'm just like the intuition the is, vibe is like, the vibe is like, today's going to be a challenging day. 
Kara's already pissed <laughs> off. This no, is going to make everybody else pissed someone off. Someone went on to politics, and now we're <laughs> off. Not necessarily, but um, but also I'll just be like, okay, peace and harmony. <laughs> you know, but it never occurred to me that that is something I am doing every day mm-hmm. as I am as I am feeding my family. I am sewing and, and crafting and doing putting things into this food that that is meant for my family's benefit always i'll tell you one of my favorite little spells so uh someone's coming over you know they're coming over obviously not right now but you know mm-hmm. when the world is quasi normal again right someone's coming over and let's just say it's for a lovely purpose you're you know getting together for a, a backyard barbecue or something right cook something before they show up is a really interesting thing that happens have you ever had that experience where someone's cooking in the house and then you go out to the garage to get something and then you come back in the house and it smells delicious, right? You can, you don't really notice it while it's happening, but you walk in the house and it smells amazing. If you cook something or make something before your guests show up, it changes the mood of the house. Mm-hmm. So it can be, it doesn't have to be food. You could light candle like a vanilla scented candle. You could burn incense or, or some other kind of smoke, right? To, to change the energy of the house. But most of the things that we burn in smokes were originally plants, right? Like sage or cedar or whatever it is that you might, you might burn. Mold wine is one of my favorite things to make. You know, you take red wine and pour it into a crock pot and then maybe add in some citrus and cloves and cinnamon, things like that. Not cinnamon, the person that was just commenting. <laughs> right. Yes, that would, that be, would be bad. Yes. Right. Yeah. Don't do that. Right. When you walk in the house, people go, Oh, it smells lovely. It smells comforting. Uh, it smells like there's going to be dinner later on. It really changes the, the mood of the house. So depending on who it is that's coming over, you can manipulate the energy of the house so that when they come in. Yeah. I have a friend who is the number one real estate agent in Grand Rapids because every time she does a house showing, mm. she puts a fresh apple pie <laughs> in the oven. Yep. And mm-hmm. so when people come to the showing, exactly. there's an apple pie already baking in the oven. Yep. And she's the number one salesperson in the Grand Rapids they area. they go in there and they're like, smells like home. <laughs> exactly. It smells <laughs> like home magic. already. Yep. That's magic. I yeah. can yep. imagine magic. living here. Yep. So we did have a question. Yep. Uh, Melkor and the Void yeah, asks, what would be the best practice for honoring food or is there anything in particular that you do to honor food? Oh, yeah, that's a, a complicated question. It seems simple. <laughs> honoring food. All right. Let's kind of take this down to a, a couple different levels. Uh, start with the ingredients. When I cook food, I really like to highlight the particular ingredient for what it is. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't like covering things in barbecue sauce or in, you know, other things like that. But I really love to honor the ingredient. I'm taking off my witch's hat a little bit here and putting on my cook's hat. Uh, Potatoes, really humble food, right? Very delicious, my favorite one. Right. So one of the things that I think you could do if you wanted to honor, a, if you were going to have potatoes, big bowl of mashed potatoes, however you like your potatoes. Everywhere. Every, I mean, really, what's not to like? You can boil them, you can mash them, you can put them in a stew. Somebody once said. <laughs> yeah. um, but so one of the things, uh, I was at a retreat uh, back in October and we did a, I was cooking. I was one of a team of five people that were cooking. And 
we did a potato bar, right? Lovely. Everyone likes that. You know, you've got a potato and then you could add all the different condiments that you want. But the way we started it is we asked everybody to hold a single potato to smell it, to smell the soil that was still on this potato and to notice those little eye things that are on potatoes. We don't think about this much, but potatoes are alive. So if you've got potatoes right now in your kitchen somewhere, they're alive. You could go plant them in a barrel outside and they'll grow. So when you hold a potato, it's a living thing. It's really amazing. Then we cooked a potato, just cut it into quarters and asked people to bite just one piece of the potato as it was. And these were just really simply cooked. It just boiled essentially, right? And and you could taste it. Then next to it, we put a little pile of salt and we encourage folks with a spoon, good hygiene, but we encourage folks to put a little bit of salt on that potato and see how the food changed. So you went from holding the raw thing to eating it just cooked in its, you know, by itself and then adding salt to it. And then when you started adding the cheese and the bacon and the chives and the sour cream and all the other things that went onto it, you really had this foundation of the what a potato is like. And interestingly enough, we also talked about potatoes. So they were, there used to be five or 6,000 varieties of potatoes. And they were uh, primarily found in South America, in places like Peru. And when the Spanish came over uh, in the 1500s and they began exporting potatoes, The history of that is quite fascinating because, of course, they didn't say, hey, folks who've lived on this land forever, we would love to buy your potatoes at a fair price and send them back to Spain. Mm -hmm. They said, these look great. We're taking them. Thanks. And they stole them and then they shipped them back. So when potatoes finally made it to Europe, to Spain and Portugal and then England, they transformed food because anyone could take a potato, eat most of it take a little bit left of it, throw it outside in some soil, and they had they had potatoes. In fact, there's quite a famous story of a French uh, baron or something like that that purposely built a garden and left it untended with an opening, and people came and they stole the potatoes, and they started growing them themselves. And this French lord did this because... People kept coming into his garden and stealing all of his favorite foods. So by giving them potatoes, he gave them this like self-sustaining food. So the humble potato then took over Europe uh, and became like this base food. That's a fascinating bit of history about the most common thing that we buy at the grocery store. So you can honor food by knowing the history of it, maybe knowing the places that it came from. Maybe instead of just buying a big, you know, Idaho russet, maybe go buy those little purple potatoes or those Yukon gold potatoes and do something different with them. Maybe learn how to make a Peruvian dish. Maybe learn how to make a dish that would have been from those peoples who, quite frankly, potatoes were stolen from. That's one way to honor food. Know where it comes from, know what the ingredient is, and then treat it. Treat it like you would a god. Imagine that the potato or the chicken breast, imagine it was a god. 
How would you treat it if it was a god? The best way to honor food. There was a second part of that question. I've forgotten it. Is there anything in particular that you do to honor food? I treat the ingredients well. I mean, that that's the best thing that I think a, a cook can do is is let the ingredients shine. From a magical perspective, if I'm growing something, and I don't grow much, I have a little plot of land where I grow. Like right now, I have a forest of arugula. So I'm going to make pesto uh, probably tomorrow out of arugula. Yeah, it's really nice. I talk to the vegetables. I tend the garden. I wonder what the lives are that are lived in between all of those arugula plants, right? Like what animals live there. Um, I also share the food with the things in my backyard. So we have a bunch of crows and ravens that, that live. So my house is a pretty normal houses absolutely nothing special it's a tiny house it's uh 1150 square feet so it's a pretty modest house but what makes it cool is that we are the last house in the little subdivision that we're in and behind us there's about 10 acres of land that cannot be developed so we get to see hawks and rabbits and all kinds of birds and things like that back there so what's cool is that Anytime I cook with meat, if I'm trimming the fat or the silver skin or the, the bits of the meat that I'm not going to eat, I take them outside and I put them on the back fence. So every day now, and I can usually time it, it's right about 10 o'clock in the morning, these two crows will come down and sit in the tree and they look and they look at where I put the food. And if there's not food, they squawk and they caw and they squawk and they caw. And if I'm not in a place where I can run out there and give them food, they will fly away after about 20 minutes of sitting in the tree and saying, hey, Guion, where the fuck is breakfast? Then they will come back in the afternoon, right, about four or five o'clock. And usually by then I've remembered to put something out. Curious story, though. Phoenix and I were putting food out and then we forgot. And then in the spot where we always put food, there was a little blue marble. So we put out food and then there was a little red marble. And then we didn't put out food and there were two marbles. <laughs> oh, we see the price has gone up. <laughs> yeah, crows are notorious for doing that. Yeah, barter. I'm not yeah. sure if we trained the crows or the crows trained us, but, <laughs> that's very- but that's one way to honor food. Like I'm giving back a little bit of something to the, to the, the, the actual beings that are right there. And then also to the ethereal beings, uh, the fey folk, the spirits of the place and that live in our backyard. So those are a couple of ways that I, I treat food. So we have some questions from Chris. What's your thoughts on using the same dishes for cooking as for offerings, as long as you're not offering anything potentially poisonous, of course. Do you think those things should be separate? Wow, what a fabulous question. How do I want to answer that? <laughs> I'll tell you a couple of things. So here is one of my Look, it's like I like I knew this question was coming. Uh-huh. Here is one of my favorite bowls. This is a handmade bowl by a, a local art person, and it's red, my favorite color, red and, and purple. So this bowl, when I originally got it, I thought I would use for ritual purposes. And I really like this bowl. <laughs> so now I serve everything in that bowl, you know, the, everything that's going to fit in that bowl, and I still use it in ritual. I tend not to fill it with things that might be poisonous, but sometimes there have been some essential oils in there that if you didn't clean them out properly, they could probably give you an upset stomach, you know? So um, I use this 
for absolutely everything, for ritual purposes, for cooking purposes. I just think it's lovely. And I also do a few things with other tools. This is my favorite wooden spoon. Also read your note. <laughs> uh, this is my favorite wooden spoon. And I use it to cook with all the time. But I've also used it in ritual. If I'm, if I'm presiding over some feast, this becomes my wand. So it's been used as a ritual item and it has been, it, it's always used as a, as a cooking tool. This also sat on my altar while I was writing the magic of food because, you know, this little bit of this, the spoon here has been in so many soups and has stirred so many stews and has, you know, let me taste whatever magical concoction I'm brewing. So this sat on my altar for a while. I didn't use it for a year while I was writing the book, but I used it as an inspiration to connect me back to uh, all the meals that this had been a part of. And then uh, this kind of goes off track a little bit, Chris, from your question, but I think the point is still there. I highly recommend standing in your kitchen or wherever it is that you cook food. If you're the, the person that always grills in the backyard, like go stand by your grill. Imagine that as your magical temple. So my kitchen is my temple. I never feel more comfortable than when I'm in the kitchen. And one of the reasons for that is that I have all my magical tools there. I mentioned my 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 wand. If you think about, like in, in classic, traditional witchcraft, if you think about what a wand is, it's about sending out energy, right? right. Uh, directing energy. That's often what a wand is used for. Well, same thing with a spoon. If I have a a big pot of stew and I want to see if the ingredients at the bottom of the stew are sticking to the bottom of the pan or if they're cooked, I could, A, dip my hand into a pot of boiling stew. Probably not a good choice. Not recommended. No. Not really. Or I can put my wooden spoon in it. And I can tell from the way it feels whether the food is sticking, whether the food is cooked, how hot it is. I can I can direct my energy by stirring the the spoon into whatever it is that I'm creating, and I can get information from it. This becomes a magical tool. Another magical tool that you've probably all thought about, the chalice, right? A lot of people use chalices and they put them on their altar. Here is my chalice. <laughs> For our friends who don't have video, that's that's a measuring cup. It's <laughs> yeah, a measuring cup. And there's lots of other chalices, right? Like my wine glass that I'm drinking out of right now. The cup that you might serve something in, the bowl that you might serve something in can become the chalice. And you know, my my favorite magical tool, I will show folks that are watching and for those that are not, are my chef's knives. My chef's knives, for those that you can see them, these are, got, nobody touches these. Not No one, no one touches these. These are my magical tools. But what I have done with my, I'm going to be careful here not to cut myself. Now, this chef's knife if you think about what an, an athame or an athame is, what you do with it is you cut. You cut away things that are uh, like discernment. You cut away the things that don't serve. You create a protective boundary, perhaps, with your athame. It's the same thing when you cook. I'm cutting away the bits of the food that won't serve. Mm. Or I'm, and so this athame, I actually have a ritual athame that was consecrated in a, in a ceremony. And I took the tip of that athame and I put it on the tip of this kitchen 
athame, and I consecrated this knife. So now every single time I cook with this knife, I'm cooking with a consecrated magical tool. I love that. Yeah, that's very good. And, I love that. And then I did the same thing with my wand and my spoon. I did the same thing. I have a cauldron. I've done the same thing with my cauldron. Think about all the cauldrons that you have in your kitchen. Do you have an Instapot? Cauldron. Do you have a Crock-Pot? Cauldron. Do you have an oven? Cauldron. Do you have a microwave? Cauldron. Because what does it do? It takes heat and it transfers it into the food and makes the food do something. So you have all these magical tools in the kitchen. Even your apron or the towel that you use. So for those of you that can see, uh, I'm wearing an apron right now. Look at that. Good kitchen witch. But uh, this apron uh, is like an altar cloth or a magical robe. Like when I put on my apron, this isn't the one I usually cook in. I have a kind of a white, very classic kind of cook's apron that I love. That's my ritual robe. When Every time I'm getting ready to cook something, that goes on. So every single thing in your kitchen is, is a magical tool. If you consecrate it, it just makes it even more. Yeah, I, I, so to Chris's question, I do use my magical tools in the kitchen, and I use my kitchen tools for magic. I love that. I love that. And Kirsten says, I'm most comfortable working magic at my kitchen table rather than, a, than an altar. I thought I was weird and probably doing things wrong. You're here to tell her she's not doing anything wrong. <laughs> no, you're doing everything right. That's fab. Did you say Kristen or Kirsten? Kirsten, uh, Kirsten. actually, yeah. Kirsten. All right, so I'm going to talk directly to you, Kirsten. So if your kitchen table is where you do your magic, it is an altar. So just like we were talking about with the magical tools, Kirsten, next time, you know, when the moon is full or whenever it is an important time for you, consecrate your kitchen table. Take the entire kitchen table and make it a magical altar or a temple. If that's where you do your magic, make it a magical space. That's brilliant. That is, whether you knew it or not, Kirsten, that is kitchen witchery at its finest. That is food magic par excellence. That's where you do your best magic. Make it a magical space. I love brilliant. it. Sounds like you've been doing it exactly right, Kirsten. That's right. So Finn Odinson said, I'm a cast iron person, whether I'm cooking for myself or the omnivores in my house. Is there a difference in magic using cast iron or other pots and pans? Like we got a copper one in this house. Yep. Yeah. We have both. We have yep. both. Yeah. So first of all, yes to cast iron. <laughs> so, <laughs> like... Absolutely cast iron. <laughs> if you have the ability to get cast iron, I mean, you know, they're heavy. They last a lifetime. I, I mean, apart from my kitchen knives, my cast iron skillet is like my, well, it's like my child. You know, like I love my cast iron. Um, yeah, I think there are differences, right? So cast iron is heavy. Cast iron will last a lifetime if you treat it well. If you enter into a relationship, I mean, getting a cast iron pan is like getting a, a pet or having a relationship with someone because you have to take care of it. You have to treat it really well. And if you don't, it'll fuck up your food. Right? Yeah. So like you have to be really good to your cast iron. I love my cast iron. I put it in the oven. I put it on the stove. I cook on the fire with it. When I go camping, I take my cast iron with me. And there's a different energetic. Copper, very different energetic when cooking with copper versus cooking with iron. There's some, some real scientific differences as well. 
um, when you cook with iron. That's different than when you cook with copper or stainless steel or wood. Some surfaces are reactive. You don't want to put some ingredients in some kinds of pans because they don't cook quite right. I do think that's important. I will say if you are someone that's a vegan or vegetarian or you want to cook foods that have a more natural feel to them, use wooden spoons, use wooden dishes, use bamboo bowls, you know, make it make the the whole thing uh, important to you. Be intentional about the utensils that you use. I usually make, so I fry potatoes on a pretty regular basis because I'm obsessed. That's all you do, yes. I'm obsessed with them. But so I usually fry my potatoes in a little bit of olive oil in the cast iron skillet. Mm -hmm. The other day I made them in the copper one because the cast iron was not not cleaned yet. It was in the sink. And I I was like, these didn't turn out quite right. I didn't do anything different except I used the wrong pan. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does make a difference. It does. It does. I'll give you a little little hint. Next time you cook the potatoes in in olive oil like you do, Mm -hmm. put in the olive oil. And then take um, a tablespoon of, of butter. Oh. Yeah. Because the, the, the butter stops the olive oil from getting too hot. Oh. And also butter. 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 Right. Yeah, right. yeah, I'm never going to turn down butter. You don't have to sell me on that. <laughs> right. <laughs> it changes the the point at which it smokes. smokes. Yeah, I get and it. it changes the viscosity. That's cool. right. So cool. Those are very important things. Our Tiger R. Darren is offering intuitive readings and divination with over a decade of experience working with spirit, tarot, runes, and tea leaves. Make an appointment for a reading with R. Darren on Facebook at R. Darren's Auguries or find him on Instagram at Instagram.com forward slash R. Darren's Auguries. That's A-R-D-R-I-N-A-U-G-U-R-I-E-S. R. Darren's Auguries. Excellent. Spectacular. Great spelling. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No. I've done my part. I can go back to sleep now. Okay. Cool. <laughs> yeah, right. Do you, it, I'm seeing lots of great. Lots um, of people in the Discord right now talking about their cast iron. Yeah. Oh, so Air says, I always wanted to ask this question. If you create food with intention, such as promoting harmony within the family and have leftovers, do the leftovers have the potency? Does the reheating alter or change the meal to mundane? I always wondered, especially with those foods that seem to taste better the next day. Oh, yeah. So, no, the magic does not dissipate. Uh, that's my belief anyway. No, it doesn't. Because you you stirred in the ingredients, you combined the spices or whatever the ingredients were that you were using. Uh, all of that was part of the intention. And the intention wasn't this one serving will bring harmony or peace or love or whatever it is that you're looking for, it's this meal, this food. So the intention carries over as long as you've got that food. Uh, microwaving it the next day or reheating it in the oven or you know whatever it is that you're doing with it absolutely doesn't change the magic of it whatsoever, I don't think. Okay, so I have a question as an addition to that. So if you're putting it back in the cauldron microwave, <laughs> can you add to it? at that point with intention, not necessarily yeah. with product. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you think about it, how many times have you, like if you've set wards or shields around your house, mm-hmm. you can just go out into, you know, wherever they are in your property, right? And you can you can add a little bit more energy to them. You don't have to start all over again. Right. Same thing. You're just going to reactivate that food. So with intention, as this as this food reheats, I reheat that spell. As that food reheats and I can smell it, 
the magic is in those odors. Yeah, absolutely. Melkor in the Void says, reheat equals recharge. And Air says, epic. Magic keeps in Tupperware. <laughs> Air also said earlier, I mean, so you know, Gwen said that this was very life affirming. Mm-hmm. So this mm-hmm. talk. Good. Yeah. We, we seem to have a lot of kitchen witches in the discord right now who are feeling very vindicated. And who well, maybe didn't realize they were kitchen they, witches. Uh-huh, yeah. 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 What I was, have been saying is I think we are all kitchen witches to a degree. We just haven't realized it. And now we can understand this principle that food is sacred and we can approach this in a whole nother way. Mm -hmm. And that gives us a whole nother avenue of magic to practice. Wait, wait, wait. Does this make me a kitchen druid? Yeah, why not? Sweet. Absolutely. <laughs> now you're going to have to do more. Uh-huh. You're going to yep. have to do more in the kitchen now. Oh, <laughs> Damn it. You played yourself. <laughs> you know, I will say that what you were talking about, like the kitchen witch is feeling vindicated. I ha- I've been asked this question before. I think kitchen witchery sometimes gets a bit of a bad rap, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's just somebody that cooks trying to make it magic. What oh, magic. Oh, magic. What? Yeah. Here's the thing, though. Like, don't get me wrong. I love standing on top of a mountain peak, stark naked, under the full moon, chanting and, you know, doing the magic. That's great. It's not always possible to do that every day. Mm-hmm. I love ecstatic magic. I'm a, I'm a drummer and a musician as well and a singer, and I can sing myself into ecstasy. I think that's brilliant. Sex? Sex is really wonderful. Sex magic, even better. And you can't do that all the time, much as I may have tried. (laughs) (laughs) You just can't. We cannot live in this place of ecstasy all the time. But each and every single day, we must eat. I mean, most everybody that's probably listening here today has a meal at least every day, whether that's coffee in the morning and then they have a bigger lunch or whether you only eat one meal a day or, you know, whatever it is, but you you eat enough to be alive. Everybody that's listening to this right now in their lifetime may not have had all the food they wanted, may not have had access to all of the best foods, but they've had enough food to keep them alive at least until today. So that's magic we do every day, every single day. I bet most everybody here has a cup of tea or a cup of coffee or something like that in the morning. So simplest piece of magic that you can do, if you uh, stir your coffee or your tea, like if you put milk or creamer in or sugar or something like that, when you stir your coffee or tea in the morning, stir it clockwise, right, Josel? You know, as this coffee wakes me up and, and enlivens my senses, may my day also be enlivened. That's magic. Right there. Right. You can do it all throughout the day. So Rabbit uh, wants <laughs> to know, is there a magical difference between cooking and baking? <laughs> yeah. Baking is the black art. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I give all the props in the world to good bakers. Baking is to magic. Baking is ceremonial magic. <laughs> yeah. Right? It is exact. Precise. That's yeah. true. Right. It's exact. You have to do it the right way. Otherwise, it doesn't work particularly well. And and if you've ever seen me try and bake, I summon demons all the time. (laughs) (laughs) 
I do think there's an energetic difference, uh, all kidding aside. I, I think that, you know, that I just think there's an intriguing, especially if you're cooking with yeasted products, like there is a magic to, I have a sourdough starter mm. that I've had for years. And again, I didn't realize this when I started making it, but it's another relationship in my life that I have to feed yeah. every yeah. day. that are alive, yeah. Right? It is alive. So there is something about that. There's something really physical about baking, especially if you're baking things like bread, like the kneading. And uh, there's something fascinating. Like you can't kind of knead bread. Right. Yeah, you either do it perfectly or you fuck right way. But you you have to do it. Like you have to get your muscles Mm. into it, right? You cannot just sort of go, "Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, that's kneaded. You know, you really have to dive into it and need it. There's something really physical about it. Unless you're making injiri in a tandoori, in which case you're fine. Well, yeah, exactly. Oh, injiri. Oh, my God, that is so brilliant. Now I want to eat it. Yeah, it's true. Like, I, I do think baking is is a very different science. It's It's alchemy and ceremonial magic blended into cookery. And it's not my strength. I can bake. I do bake, but it, it's uh, when I was cooking at this retreat I was telling you about, and there were five of us, there was one person who was like, oh, I love to bake. And we're like, great, you're going to be baking all the things. <laughs> and they, they made all the biscuits and all the cookies and all the desserts, and they were absolutely happy. And um, and yes, me and the other You all were too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, Jack yeah. says, thank the gods for stand mixers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And that is true. That is true. I love to bake, but you're right. It does, you cannot fudge on a, on a recipe. You know, no. you cannot, you cannot fudge. substitute something. Ha ha, yes. Um, Not quite the same way. You it, really can't. You know, I can do all kinds of substitutions and changes when I'm making a, a supper or some, you know, making a recipe from a cookbook. Half the time I am, you know, taking the basic recipe and changing it to yeah. match whatever, whatever I have available. Have, yeah. But you cannot do that with a baking, with, with baking, whether it's bread or cookies or whatever. You can make a few very specific, very specific substitutions, substitutions. And that's about it. But even those can be tricky. Mm-hmm. Even those yeah. substitutions can be tricky. Because I do a lot of vegan baking and it's that is is a An whole ordeal. ordeal unto itself. So I agree with you. I do think there's different energies involved. So rabbit, uh, if you ever find a great recipe for gluten-free digestive biscuits, please send it my way. <laughs> um, I am absolutely gagging for a good digestive biscuit. And uh, oddly enough, uh, most people don't know this, um, I developed a bit of a gluten uh, intolerance in the last year. I'm not quite sure why, uh, but I have. And so I've been experimenting with a lot of gluten-free recipes and uh, I have a gluten-free sourdough starter that I've started. So now I've yet another relationship to manage. Yeah. Uh, but um, I am absolutely gagging for a good digestive biscuit. <laughs> Magira 17 said, I want to try and make sourdough starter, but I'm pretty worried because I have to cook gluten-free. Yeah. Yeah. So you apparently make, you know how to do it. Yeah, you you make it exactly the same way. You use whatever gluten-free flour you like. You know, a one-to-one flour, I think, is the best. You feed it the same way that you would. You treat it virtually the same way. One little trick that I did, because I have a, a really delicious, tangy, multi-delicious sourdough starter, uh, when I started making the new one, the gluten-free one, I put them next to each other. Mm. So I would feed them simultaneously. So all of the the yeast and the the attractants that are in that 
ended up flavoring the gluten-free version. Nice. Ah, gotcha. Very smart. Yeah. Very cool. They can share. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. So you do get some wild yeast in that then. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's funny because the original, the, the base of the sourdough starter came from a, a dear friend and, and witch that I know well. His name is Gwydion and lives in San Francisco, makes an amazing, uh, he's a brilliant cook in his own right. I love his food. Uh, his sourdough starter was Pablo. So mine is Pablito. <laughs> uh, and, um, but when I first got it, it had a, its particular idiosyncrasies about it, its particular own smell about it. And within a week of being in my house, completely different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. the yeast different where I am. Yeah. And that's, so, you know, I make mead yeah. on a grand scale. And my whole goal is to not have. Yeah. You're trying to avoid. I'm trying yeast. to avoid the wild yeast in it uh, because we do still meats. So we want them when we bottle them to not ferment anymore mm-hmm. that's right so once we otherwise... get into 14 to 16 percent alcohol we're we want it to be done yes um, so we're always like if i have to open it up to check it i'm like okay good and i'm closing the <laughs> yeah. right back really quickly so and then the other way around i open it up walk around the backyard leave it outside for a while anything to get you know new stuff inside of it yeah kirsten ray says i know a recipe for gluten-free cheese biscuits it's mm-hmm. not the same yeah, as the Yes. You can find me online, Kristen, at Gwian Raven on <laughs> Facebook or wherever. Just send me the recipe. Send. Air says, question about sugar replacers such as Swerve. Would they still have the same effect? Mm. Well, from a cooking perspective, often, yes, they do. Same thing if you're vegan, you can't use honey. Mm-hmm. You can use agave, mm-hmm. right? Yep. It's a little bit different energy. I think, again, if you know how that thing is manufactured or made or grown, depending on where it comes from, you know, stevia comes from a plant. A lot of sugar is refined, beet sugars, uh, what we mostly get in the United States. So I think just understanding where it comes from. But energetically, it's about sweetening. So, you know, what's the what's the sweetness that you're adding to the recipe? That's where the magic takes over from the ingredient. Right. Mm-hmm. So one of our listeners, Black Cat, said uh, baking is like potions class. Yeah. So the deal is to find a cookbook with all the notes written in it. That would be great, except that I have my great-grandmother's chocolate cake recipe. It's not reproducible. That's not, not reproducible because it's a pinch of this and a dash of that. And our a hands handful. are different sizes than hers were. Right. Yeah, a handful of flour. I right. Mean, and so... Like, while I have tried for, oh, I don't know, 50 years yeah. to get a reproduction of my great-grandmother's chocolate cake, which my grandmother could make. Right. So up until the time I was three, I got pieces of it. I have, We have not been able to reproduce it. My no. mom hasn't. My I wife hasn't. Too. Just nobody can reproduce this cake. So. Well, Carr, I might offer that. How, how long have you been trying to recreate this recipe? How many years? At least 40. So for 40 years, you've been thinking about your great-grandmother. That's fucking magic. Yes. True. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's yep. true. Yeah. That's true. Maybe she's keeping this this recipe out of our hands intentionally right. so right. you'll yep. keep obsessing right. over it. <laughs> yep. and it. And if it makes you feel any better, Carl, the ancient Sumerians, they were the folks that invented the clay tablets, yep. right? Um, uh, cuneiform writing. Yep. And they, they, we actually have access to some of the recipes that were made five, seven thousand years ago. Pretty amazing, right? In fact, I think the first recipe in the book uh, is a recipe from several thousand years ago. Yes, yeah. But the same thing with that. 
people wrote down things like use the usual spices. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, what does that mean? Right? Like we can guess, we can get a pretty good idea. But yeah, it was use the standard measure of salt. What the fuck is the standard measure of salt? So it is this constant experimentation. Like the Uh, Roman recipe for concrete. Just says Right, exactly. Salt water. In my family, my grandmother used to make this German dish, cucumbers and cream. Mm. Really basic. It's cucumbers, it's cream, it's onions and some celery salt and things like that. But none of us can recreate it the way she did it. And we don't know if it's because she used fresh cream my she mother, was improvising. She was improvising something that she never told anybody. My mother tried it. My aunt tried it. I've tried it. And my mom always used the expression, she somehow just got the right do on it. It was just, you know, I was like, mom, what the do. fuck does that even mean? What is it? Yeah, yeah. What does it do? What is the flavor profile yeah. of a do? What does that mean? You so know? your grandmother who made this, who was German, right? Uh, actually, it was my grandfather who was German, and her mother-in-law taught her okay. how to make this. Wow. Farm living, right? Yes, she was a farmer's wife. Right, so she was a farmer's wife. So for that, you know, it, you would think that that would be entirely different, even in the cream. Yeah. Because the cream's coming right from the cow. Yeah, that's one like, of the yeah. things we wondered. If, right. If it's yeah. just because she used fresh cream. Inexpressibly fresh and cream. She right. grew the, and she grew the cucumbers herself. Right. You know, and the onions. I mean, right. she, she did all of that herself. So talk about magic. My God. <laughs> you know, you actually reminded me of something, Carl, when you were talking about, um, well, all of you, when you're talking about recipes from grandparents and great grandparents and what have you. So we talked about magical tools earlier, right? Like the spoon and right. the, the bowls and the chalice and whatnot. There was one tool I forgot to mention, and that's the book of shadows. Mm. Right? A lot of people keep a book of shadows of all their spells. Those cookbooks that you have my amazing partner phoenix she has this little plastic three by five index card box you know mm-hmm. and inside of it are recipes and some of those are recipes that were given to her it was a how to make her grandmother's uh dijon dressing which is the best um a tuna noodle casserole recipe that she ripped out of a reader's digest or some magazine 20 years ago you know things like that um, they've all ended up in this box. And that box is a treasure trove. The first meal that Phoenix ever made me when we were dating, she made me something called Mushroom Surprise. And when she started telling me what this was involved in this recipe, I thought, yeah, this is going to be a surprise, all right. <laughs> uh, but, you know, my girlfriend was making me food. So I'm like, sounds lovely, dear. Let's, let's have this, you know. Uh, and it was absolutely delicious. Now, it's n- not remotely a complex recipe. It's mushrooms and garlic and onions and cow cheese. You know, the little triangle spreadable cheeses? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what's mixed into it. And then noodles, right? So it's a really basic recipe. But at the time, that's what she knew how to cook. And it is an absolute favorite of mine. And we found the recipe for two for uh, mushroom surprise number one and number two. <laughs> And we never had number one. So now we've, we, we're adding it into our little repertoire. But, um, those books of shadows are important. I mean, one of the dreams that I have for my book is that if you find a recipe that you like, cook it the way I've written it the first time because, you know, I've put some magic and some energy into that and then mix it up. I've been cooking recipes out of my book recently. I thought, you know what? I'm going to cook them all over again. I've cooked most of them for many, many years and I thought, 
I'm just going to cook every one of the recipes in my book one more time, just because. And I never stick to my own recipes. No. <laughs> I keep going, no, that could have used a bit more salt. I mean, they're all really good recipes. They all work. But even now I'm like, oh, I'm going to substitute this. Oh, I should have added that. Yeah. Write those things in the margins. I know there are some bibliophiles out there going, no, don't write in books. But a book that's got recipes in it, please write in it. Please, yeah. please, please. My mother was a – my mother cannot cook. No, that's no. true. <laughs> so – I neither. Confirmed by the rest of the three pack. Yeah. My mother, my mother makes cereal really well. She buys a great fruit platter. Right. And she can buy a really (laughs) good fruit platter and she can nuke things pretty good. Sort of. (laughs) (laughs) But my mother collected cookbooks. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. It was the weirdest thing because. Because she was never going to use them. Because I, I've, I've known my mother for 52 years. She's never been able to cook. (laughs) So, so the reason to collect cookbooks makes no sense to me, but we have a bunch of them. Mm -hmm. Some of them are like, my mother worked for the U S government. So I have like the white house cookbook Uh that's put together by from the 1800s. That's put together by chefs who worked at the white house in the 1800s. So I'm like, these are recipes I want to try. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love, there's a, a friend of mine, dear witch friend of mine that's been posting recipes online that come from the plague times. Oof. So these are all, you know, 12th and 13th century recipes. And then also recipes from World War II when people were on rations. Mm-hmm. Right. And she's been posting them online and, and I have to look at them. And then a, a very dear, a uh, friend of mine who's a coven mate, she was part of a uh, Civil War reenactment group. Yep. And so they had to cook the foods the the way the Union soldiers would. Mm-hmm. And and it's fabulous. I love those recipes. Oh, yeah. Melkor in the Void had a really good point when I was talking about my grandmother's cucumbers. Magic differs person to person. So maybe part of the taste difference is also you're missing your grandma's inherent magic or energy. So that should be the same thing with but, your grandmother's right. recipe, my grandmother's cucumber yep. recipe. That said, can you borrow? Get, borrow that person's energy by doing some... Do some Ancestor work, ancestor ahead, of work, ahead, of work. ahead of time yeah. and then bring that into your cooking. That would be an interesting yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. Invite your grandmother into the kitchen next time yeah. you make cucumbers and cream or that cake. You know, just invite them in. Yeah. Right. Sing their songs, wear the apron, use the, the spoon that they used or, you know, whatever it is that you've got that reminds you of them mm-hmm. or was of them. Invite them into the kitchen. I guarantee you the food will taste different. That okay. Ode needs to create a kitchen witch table chat on. <laughs> yep. You got it. On the Discord. That's fantastic. Uh, so, Gwen, if you ever have a chance to jump into our Discord, feel free to do that. Yep. I shall. Um, I do have two things I need to bring up to you that I've seen online recently. From mm-hmm. One is you have somebody who has taken your book and has created a class based on it. Which is just For, what, $150 or something? Something like that, yeah. And they get a PDF of your book. So I would say that if anybody of our listeners sees that, report they it. should report it to Llewellyn post-haste. Yeah, because yeah. that's price gouging, intellectual property theft, and illegal distribution in one package. Right. It is. It really is. And I just have to say, I mean, to be clear, I love the idea of a book club <laughs> taking my book and working through it. I think that's brilliant. 
I think if somebody wants to buy the ingredients for some of the recipes and ask to be compensated for that, you know, if they have people coming over and they're all going to cook together, mm-hmm. I think they absolutely should be able to charge, you know, if they spend a hundred dollars on groceries, ask everybody for 10 bucks, you know, something like, I think that's perfectly fine. But the bit that got me is, it's not that they're, and the curriculum was great. Like, I really want to sign up for this class. Just <laughs> Go, oh, by the way, yeah, I wrote that. <laughs> you know, but, uh, it's the bit, the, the bit that bothers me is not that they're taking my book and using it as a class. It's that they are giving away a PDF, a free PDF version of the book. That's stealing. That yeah. is stealing. Right, yeah. Yeah. Straight up. Straight up. And they're charging for your intellectual property by teaching That's class true. based on it. So yeah, exactly. both of those things. Unacceptable. Unacceptable in my yeah. opinion. Uh, the second thing is, I really like for you to talk to us about maybe cutting jalapenos and not washing your hands. <laughs> you had to ask that right after I took a big swig of wine. Oh my gosh, I nearly covered my screen with Cabernet Sauvignon. Yeah, so if you were to ask my daughter who lives at home, I have three children, but only one that lives at home. Every time I cook with jalapenos or any um, hot peppers. I do the same thing. I, I chop everything else. So in, in cooking, formal cooking, there's something called, uh, mise en place, right? Which is you, everything has its place is basically what that means. And so one of the last things that I do whenever I'm making a meal, the last ingredient that I chop or prepare are the other hot peppers. And what I say to myself is while I'm chopping them is wash your hands, don't touch your face. Wash your hands. Don't touch your face. I say it out loud because, well, you'll see in a moment. (laughs) When I get done chopping the thing that's hot, I immediately go over and I wash my hands. And then I take that tool, my knife, and I wash my knife. Because if I pick up my knife and then touch my face. Mm -hmm. So the other day, I was making a really, really delicious breakfast hash. I had the potatoes. I had the pulled pork that was left over from the boar tacos that I was making the other day. <laughs> I was, I had the peppers. I had everything it was brilliant. And then I chopped the jalapenos. <laughs> <laughs> and then I said the thing out loud because that's what a good k- kitchen witch would do. And then I didn't wash my hands. <laughs> and then I sat down to eat my breakfast. And then I went like this. I wiped my eye because I had an eyelash in my eye. And then I screamed. <laughs> I laughed. So I have watched some of the other comments on your post about that. Yes. And people touching their eye is probably the least bothersome <laughs> some of the comments. Yes. So. There, there are some folks that have touched, uh, how should we say this delicately, their own nethers. <laughs> But more importantly, they've touched somebody else's. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's one, it's bad enough if you do it to yourself, but it's just rude to do it to someone else. It really is. I mean, you know, I like, I like those kinds of touches to be hot and spicy too, but not quite like that. <laughs> <laughs> so Finn Odinson said, uh, I have Trinidadian scorpion, pe- scorpion peppers in my garden right now. Wow. Yeah. So make sure you wash your Caution, hands, Finn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wash your hands. Don't touch your face. That's right. Yeah. Use gloves. <laughs> or your wife. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my goodness. Well, Gwen, this has been such a delight talking to you. And 
I swear, I think this is the most active in asking questions and comments yep. that our Discord has been in a long time. Yeah. So fabulous. obviously this has really resonated, resonated with people because I mean, we all eat it, you know, right. you know, we all have food in common. So thank you so much for spending this time with us, sharing your knowledge and your wisdom. Gwion will be giving away a copy of his book. You want to go ahead yep. and give so that information? If in? you want a copy of Gwion's book, you need to email me, Carr at the number three pagans and a cat.com. So that's car at three pagans and a cat.com by this upcoming Friday, which is, we figured out that date, the 24th, the 24th of April. Let me know that you want a copy of it and also include your shipping address. Even if you have responded to a previous contest, because damn if I will to find it. So feel free to include your shipping address and who you want the book made out to. Yep. If it's for you, your name. If it's for somebody else, their name. If you want your magical name, if you want your regular name, who knows. Yep. But uh, just include how you want it made out, and Guion will autograph it and send it your way. That's right. I'll make one other addition to that. Uh-oh. Ooh. I have a secret recipe Ooh. that has been handed from witch to witch to witch. And I received it recently. It is for a, a chicken soup dish. Oh. Which I think right now, you know, any healing we can get is good healing. Exactly. This is a very magical recipe and it has only been handed. It's not shared publicly. It's not in any book. I will never publish it. I'll never break the confidence of the witch that gave it to me. And they hold that same ethic to every witch that's gotten this book. So whoever it is that uh, call you, um, give that award that book to. I will also include a copy of that recipe. Wow! Can I ask, will that be a copy of the recipe, or are you going to handwrite it in? Uh, I will handwrite it, not in the book, but I will handwrite it and include it. Okay, so that that's a bigger deal, I think. Yep. In that, it also includes uh, not just the recipe's intention, but mm-hmm. Gwen's intention as well, that's and right. handwriting it. So. That's right. Yeah. And again, thank you, Gwen. How can people get in touch with you? Where can they find you? Aside from your website. Aside from your website. So one of the nice things about having a name like Guion Raven is that there aren't very many of us, right? <laughs> so if you are someone that uses Facebook, you can absolutely find me at Guion Raven on Facebook. You're welcome to friend me. You can also go to the Magic of Food. There's um, a Facebook group for that, and that's Magic with a K, uh, and that's that's me. So I write that. You can go to Llewellyn. Uh, and look up my author page on Llewellyn. Depending on what the future brings, I will be at the Mystic South Com- Conference in July, the end of July, assuming that we can can get to those places. I'll be there. So, uh, yeah, lots of different places that you can find me. And you also uh, write with Phoenix for Patheos, don't you? That's right, yeah. So you can find us at The Witches Next Door. That's our blog on Patheos. Uh, what's neat about that is that I write there, Phoenix writes there. Phoenix is my amazing partner. And sometimes we write posts together and sometimes, you know, it'll be me or Phoenix writing. But yeah, you can definitely find us there as well. Or like us, you could just Google them. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's- you can Google me and you can find me on uh, Three Pagans and a Cat as well because I frequently lurk on that. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And that's Gwion, G-W-I-O-N, Raven, yep. R-A-V-E-N. For those who want to know how to spell your name. Although it'll be on the episode title when it it goes out on Monday. It will. All right. So that's it for us. Uh, You can find three pack by Googling us. That's right. Three Three pagans and a cat.
So number three. Pagans. And yeah, a cat. Dot com. Uh, you don't need to put it in the dot com if you're Googling us because That's that would true. be weird. Uh, but you just, can Google you still take it. That's true. We're everywhere. Just find We're us. We're on a bunch of things that I don't use. Come visit me on Patheos because I'm the only one writing for Three Pigs and Cat. Because I haven't written anything yet. I'm, I have no excuses. <laughs> <laughs> but do come check out that. And of course, we're, you know, I'm, do, I'm doing the Monday through Friday yep. meditation. Car is doing the Sunday afternoon chat from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time. Yep. My Monday uh, through Friday uh, meditation guided meditations are 8 a.m. Eastern, but it is recorded, so you don't have to be there. So you for, don't have to be awake at that illegal to be time. Awake at right. that time. And That's then, it. of course, the movie thing. Oh yeah, yeah. So the 26th of this upcoming month, I think it's the 26th. Yes, sure. It's Sunday. We'll say it's the 26th. Next Sunday. Next Sunday, uh, we were doing uh, broad daylight of, of the, the living, living dead. dead, also known as <laughs> Night of the Living Dead. All right, live on Sia.live. and so I will post that link to our Facebook pages, yeah. to our Discord, and to our Twitter uh, here probably Monday. That's right. And I think that's everything. That is. So, again, we just want to say many, many thanks to Guion yes. for being our guest tonight and just yes. sharing all of your wisdom. And uh, you all get the book. Yes. Get the, the book. book. Go buy the book. Stay get the book. home safe inside. Yes. Be safe. Stay safe. Wash your hands. Cook well. Yep. Yes. That's right. All right. Goodbye. I think that's it. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Three Pagans and a Cat. Find out more information at www.threepagansandacat.com.